pop culture questions only one podcast knows. Nerds that know. Rated R. From the greatest minds from around the world, this is the Nerds That Know. Stash here along with my wonderful group of friends, family, and turds. Please, turds, tell me, how are you? Feeling pretty shitty, so that's appropriate. (laughs) Well, I guess I get to be the family, you know, sister and all. Uh, Bobby here, you know, uh, reporting in live from New Orleans, where it is hot and sticky and moist. Does that make me your friend, Stash? Is that what this is now? Uh, well, you could also be, yeah, you, your friends and family and shit all at the same time. So. <laughs> oh, sounds good. Well, take care of the friendly corny shit. <laughs> hey, there we go. Hey, you know what? We're laying into it. No one? I thought nope. I would at least get something for that. Nope. Oh, I like it. <laughs> no, not going there. Not going to talk about the chunks that you know, Tank is bringing up. Nope, we're just going to go straight into the agenda and skip over all of the poo jokes. Well, since we're talking about shit, let's talk about Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I'm glad so that you, you went feel there. Because I saw the trailer and it was like a rap battle between Daffy and Porky, and I was like, oh my god. Oh no. Oh, this is very bad. If only, if only that was the rap battle. If that only. Is weirdly, one of the better parts. Yeah, it really is. Porky's rap battling against. Because no one went against it. <laughs> Technically against Don Cheadle's character, except for he didn't do it back. Yeah. So, <clears throat> he did a decent yeah. job, though. Porky did a good job. Yeah, Porky, I was pleasantly surprised with the quality of that rap. <clears throat> As Tank said, probably one of the better parts of the film. Yeah. It's shit, guys. Like, it is real bad. It is Warner Brothers slash HBO putting together a 45-minute commercial inside an hour-and-a-half-long movie. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so um, earlier you guys mentioned that this made you think of Ready Player One and that film adaptation. So with that comment there about the giant commercial hiding inside of a shitty movie that does sound exactly like Ready Player One. Well, yeah, they brought all their properties out to be audience members during the big basketball game. Yeah, and then they kept making stupid references to them. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, and then, of course, need we discuss the shitty acting of our lead man? Wrong <laughs> <laughs> James is not a good actor, which is weird because he's a good actor on the basketball court. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so so we may have issues with LeBron James. However, 
he was not the first choice at all to make a sequel to Space Jam. If you actually look back, because it's been 25 years since the yes. first Space Jam came out. Okay. Kobe was supposed to be one. Tiger Woods was talked to. Yeah. Jackie Chan, they were going to make a Spy Jam movie. Yeah, that was the oh, one. Fun. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Gordon. It should have been something different. Jeff True. Gordon from NASCAR was uh, talked to, and they were going to call it Race Jam. <laughs> Yo. Wow. So, like. If we're being they, honest, any of those would have been better choices. Uh, they they talked to less. see who else. Uh, yeah, so Tiger Woods, Clint Eastwood, Jackie Chan, Jeff Gordon. I wonder what they would have called it if it was Tiger Woods. Well, oh, it probably wouldn't involve Jim because of his, you know, <laughs> Well, that's probably why they ended up not going with him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but let's just yeah. say that this movie I mean, is not going to make movie? any of the money that first one did. So the first movie earned $250 million worldwide and billions of dollars in merch. I will well, say this. the thing is, like they actually outperformed um everybody this weekend. Yeah. Like uh Black Widow was outperformed by this shit movie. Which is really incredible considering it was on HBO Max for free exactly. and that's how I watched it. That's how I watched it. I was surprised by how much money they made considering that it is on HBO. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, I, like, you heard about his, um, Twitter, like, response to people, like, sizing the quality of the film. He's like, oh, you are all just haters, but look at these numbers. And they made, like, 80 million opening weekend, which is far more than this movie should have made. Total. It's, it was a legitimately impressive number considering the circumstances around the movie. I was surprised by how much they made. I think people are just really close with their kids, and it's the first kids movie. Well, I will this. I did watch it because my kids wanted to. So, yeah. not wrong. I mean... Yeah, or it's better, it's just the nostalgia. I mean, you and I mm-hmm. went to a pajama party to see the original Space Jam, not but two years ago. That's true, but that's because that movie's funny. See, and that's what I'm saying. Like, this is why you can't just make a reboot without understanding what made the original great. Yeah, I will say this: they did a decent job with the Looney Tunes parts of it. Like the first point, yeah, were like, pretty good. Were pretty good. Yeah, they did a decent job with the, even with the story about why the Looney Tunes had to be recruited and everything it was kind of cool. Like, it was kind of a you know a that team assemble moment kind of a thing was kind of cool. Um, but once again, like most of that was just selling their other franchises. Yeah, man, it was so bad. Like, I just don't understand it. Cause like the Looney Tunes have so much character and that's what drove the first movie so successfully mm-hmm. is seeing all these random characters interact with someone who is like your John Everyman. Okay. And 
Michael Jordan's acting in the first movie. So. Oh, I'm not saying his, his acting was great, but I'm saying the people who saw that movie were able to put themselves in his shoes. And hence the billion dollars of merchandising, because then they did put themselves in the same shoes. Yeah, I mean, literally. You could see that that's what they were, to a certain extent, trying to do with this movie. I don't think they were. They were giving it, like, the Gen Z stuff, kind of, like, you know, it was about video game stuff, and it had social media, like, a lot of social media influence stuff, and, you know, it did kind of tie into... I guess a shallow view of Gen Z, but it didn't have enough of the heart that you felt in the first one. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because the main premise was supposed to be LeBron like reconciling with his son. Yeah. And it just, it didn't make any sense. Like their character development through the course of the film and how they were oppositional and then friendly and then reconciled and there was no transitions. They were just points that happened. Yeah, there was no storyline. I'm guessing the storyboard on this was how much crap can we jam into this to talk to kids about? Well, it turns out a lot. Yeah. The storyline was ill-conceived, to put it mildly. It didn't make any sense. Um, I will say, though, it gave me some more respect for Don Cheadle, because that (laughs) can do anything. I mean, yeah, he's Don Cheadle. He he, he pulled Maniac off really well in this movie. I mean, he's kind of the only reason I would watch this movie. He's the main reason I paid attention. (laughs) <laughs> I'll be honest I started drifting in and out about 20 minutes in I was like this is boring I I, I rewound it a couple times because I definitely gap, you know, missed a gap of like 5 to 10 minutes every once in a while because it does not it does not draw your attention very well if you're over the age of uh, 6 yeah, there's a lot of bright, shiny colors. Yeah, which is perfect if you're six. Yeah, if you if you got a kid that like shiny things, sit them down. They'll sit there for two hours and watch this. <laughs> they will, I promise. Yeah. Tank will know I he mean, has I, children I, under the age of six. Yeah, yeah. sat there and watched the whole movie. Didn't get up or move around or anything. Okay, that right there is impressive. Yeah. You have to wonder if there's some sort of you know hypnotics included in the film. There it is. Big, giant, flashy lights for most of it. Well, see, yep. there you go. And it's it's aimed for children's brain patterns. Yeah. And see, most of the time, you would think there would be a plot to add cohesion. No. All you have to do is just throw that away. The kids don't care. There was no cohesion. The plot was, what? How? LeBron wants to make this movie. How can we make it worth us putting him in this movie and making another one? And how we do that is okay. we see all of our other stuff during the course of it. And, and really, was it LeBron wants to make this movie? Oh, or, yeah. I mean, because, like, they've been trying to make a sequel to the first one for the last 20 years. 
LeBron has been wanting to make this movie for at least a decade. So I can actually tell you that like he he has always wanted to make this movie, which is really I don't know unfair because he was like really low on their list of people that they wanted for this film. Well, for the majority of the other people, though, that was longer ago. Most of those were... Early 2000s. Yeah, I know, but that's 15 years ago. That's when he yeah, started. That's a long time ago. No, I know. I'm just saying. Early like, season was 2003. So, yeah. he, right. he's only, you know, since he's been involved in the NBA, he's basically almost the entire time wanted to you know, be Michael Jordan. So him wanting to make Space Jam kind of followed that. I mean, I'm glad I didn't pay for it. I'm sure there are, you know, those few fans. The few people I know who saw it, I talked to three different people who saw it, and one of those was a couple that walked out halfway through and asked for their money back. Wow. Oh, two adults went to see this alone? Um, yeah. I was very surprised. At the movie theater, huh? Yeah. I think there was, yeah, there, was a lot, there was a lot of hype for it from 20-somethings like me. Like, I was kind of excited for it, but then I saw the trailer and I was like, I'm no longer excited for this. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I remember when the first one came out, and honestly, I was not a big fan of the first one. So this really just didn't, you know, have a lot of interest for me. But I'm not, also not a huge NBA fan, you know, uh, of all of the professional, you know, sports. Basketball is not high on my list. I prefer college basketball. And so, you know, a lot of times when they're pulling in different names and stuff, you know, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I vaguely know who that person is. Well, yeah, I enjoyed the first movie. I'm going to be honest about that. It also came out at the perfect time for me. I was like eight, I think, when that movie came out. So I enjoyed the first movie. I did not really enjoy this one. And it's weird because, like, all the controversy before this movie came out, especially with, like, the Lola Bunny part. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they made a pretty good deal out of that. She was in it for about three minutes. So she very much is not important at all until two minutes left in the movie. She does something. So I'm like, okay, so they just kind of took that and said, well, we'll just take her out of the movie then. No one wants to see the new version of Lola Bunny. Which is funny because there are cosplayers that I know that are doing a brand new version of Lola Bunny cosplay because they changed her appearance. Oh, well, they'll be getting a lot more out of it than the character did in the movie. So. so. Yeah, like, she had very little impact on the entire anything that happened, really. Alright, well, while we're on the topic of kids' movies, let's jump over to uh, what we've seen uh, coming out for the live action of Little Mermaid. So, um, Disney is doing another live-action film. Some of them seem to be doing well, and some of them are really shit. Their last one of Cruella was really good. Um, you know, 
I have the concern with the live action Little Mermaid that I had with the live action Beauty and the Beast. And that is they've already done it live action in a stage show. Are they going to try to follow what they've done on stage or are they going to try to change up the story? You know, I mean, the way they did with Beauty and the Beast. Honestly, if they're smart, they need to try and change it up because it is a very different uh, genre of storytelling. And there are very few stories that can just be converted over perfectly. Yeah. I mean, I just basically want some of the songs that are in the stage production to be in this film. I mean, I'm sure they'll toss you one. They didn't with Beauty and the Beast. I thought they did. No. They added, didn't they add one new song to Beauty and the Beast? They did, but it yeah. was not from the stage show. It was oh, it was uh, um, an original just for the film. Oh, well, then that's probably what you get. You so, know what I just realized as you were saying how Corella was good is that, like, the ones that people actually like are ones about villains that are new content, like backstories and stuff. Like Maleficent. Yeah, like Maleficent, exactly. Um, And the reason that people don't like the new live action is like they are trying to fix something that isn't broke and they're breaking it in the process. Yeah, they're trying to do shot-for-shot remakes of most of them. And you can't really do that. Well, not even shot-for-shot remakes. Sometimes when they mess with uh, some of the like characters or the plot mechanics for the new ones, they kind of like miss the entire point of the original movie. Um, like Aladdin was really weird, and like uh, I, I don't know. Like sometimes they try to be PC and they go overboard and they miss how that message was already in the original. If that makes any sense. Uh-huh. Well, okay, I get yeah, what like- you're saying. I think with Aladdin the big thing there was it wasn't a movie about Aladdin. It was a movie about Jasmine and Aladdin just happened to be in the film. Yeah. And that's fine. But like, just the, like they made her a girl boss, which is like fine. But I I just don't think they really understood what they were doing. Basically. Like they didn't really think it through. I see where you're coming from on that. It was an overcorrection because in the cartoon, she is a boss. Yeah. And they don't have to push that agenda. She is very strong, very resolute in who she is in the animated version of the movie. So yeah, I mean, that's it's kind I of agree. why she's such a badass princess. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that they're doing um, very differently with the live action Little Mermaid is they cast Halle Bailey uh, for Ariel. So they are taking a completely different look. At mermaids um, in the you know animated version, we all know that Ariel is you know a tiny thin you know uh, Caucasian with the flowing red hair. She was originally supposed to have blonde hair, but Splash had come out right before Little Mermaid did, and so they changed it to red hair. That way, people wouldn't compare Daryl Hannah to Ariel. Huh? I actually did not know that. Yes, random knowledge that happens to live inside my brain. You're welcome. Uh, But this Ariel looks completely different from Daryl Hannah. Yeah. Uh, And I think she looks amazing. Based on what they've done released so far, it 
looks good. I will say that. Yeah, I'm excited to see. I'm curious what direction they're going to take the myth of mermaids because they can go in a lot of different directions and i wouldn't say any of them are particularly right or wrong because for every possible portrayal there are you know opposites and conflicting views but i'm curious because the music is so good in little mermaid that if they just drive let the music drive the plot i think they'll be okay but I don't know. I thought that about Mulan too, and that movie was garbage. Well, well they yeah. also didn't have any of the music in Mulan, which is one of the reasons the film sucked. They also yeah. didn't have the cool ass little dragon. Yeah, they got rid of Mushu. They got rid of all of the songs. <clears throat> you know, dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. I wonder, will they give us the original Grimm's version of it and she ends up dying at the end? Probably not. It's Disney. (laughs) And it was Hans Christian Andersen who wrote The Little Mermaid. Sorry. Sorry. Hans Christian Andersen. So. Where she turns into foam? Yes. Because. Bearing the prince? Yeah. Well, in in the original, um, she never tells him that she's the one who rescued him because he meets another girl on the beach. And she realizes that her love for the prince is so strong, all she wants is for him to be happy. And so she gives up her life by turning into sea foam. So that way the prince never knows that he's fallen in love with someone who is not who he thinks she is. Which, in my opinion, is complete and total shit. But, you know, Hans Christian Andersen wrote this... But hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, and took inspiration from Shakespeare, who kind of did the same game. Yeah. Yeah. It's it was tropey for the time. Old old white men white men wrote writing about how women are just so into this one dude that they'll kill themselves about it. How how little girls must respond to the big glamorous you know prince. Yeah, so it doesn't go right. Well, I don't know about any of the uh, women who are are listening to our show, but um, just going to throw this out there. Don't kill yourself over a bad relationship. Get some ice cream and a bottle of wine and give us a call because it's better than turning turning into sea foam. (laughs) No. And that same thing goes for dudes. You know, there are other other things to do than to give up everything that you are and your whole eternity because some jackass decides to be with somebody else. Just throwing that out there. Well, hopefully they... See, it's hard, though, because they'd have to... If they're going to be taking that approach to kind of... I don't know. Pump up the... Feminism, I guess, of Little Mermaid. Um, and I don't know. I wonder, because that would alter the story. Because she is kind of a lost little girl for ninety percent of that. She is, and that's kind of the whole thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, that, that really is the core of her character. Is her yeah. being 
like incapable of existing without this person she deems irreplaceable. Yeah. Well, she's never met or spoken to. Yes. Yeah. You also have to think that Ariel is only 16 years old. That's what I'm saying. Like the whole, the, the premise of the the movie adaptation of it, the Disney adaptation of it is this love lorn teenager, you know, mm-hmm. catches feelings for someone that she can't have, basically. And right. then that causes a bunch of problems and then they end up happily ever after. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I do know that we're getting music still in this one. So they're not making the same, um, you know, Mulan mistake. And I'm really curious for uh, Poor Unfortunate Souls because Melissa McCarthy is Ursula. How do you know? I wonder if they're going to still make her a drag queen. Well, I hope so. <laughs> well, that, that's who Ursula was legitimately inspired by drag queen divine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Mitch. Like, I want her to have the eyebrows. Yeah, obviously we have a problem with queer coding villains, but like, I love how insanely queer Ursula is. She's great. I she was always one of my favorite villains, and her songs are so good. Yeah, and how hateful she is towards her brother makes it kind of fun. Yeah. We wouldn't know anything about you know sibling rivalry at all. No. Uh, I'm wondering what they're going to do with Sebastian. That is one of my concerns because yeah. that is my favorite character from the first, from the I bet they get original of version of it. Yeah, and I actually haven't seen who is playing Sebastian, so I don't know. I know that we yeah. have the um, the actor who's playing Flounder. Let me see if I can find the rest of the casting. Well, are they treating it the similar way they did with Jungle Book and Lion King and? it's going to be basically CGI animals? Uh, I've not seen pictures. Um, I mean, let's be clear. Probably because, like, you can't make a real crab look cute. They're kind of horrific looking. No, crabs are adorable. But, like, yeah, I... That's just the thing is, like, what's the alternative? Like, cartoon with live action been done before it comes off weird yeah you know anything better than that stage version that we got um you know, what was it last year oh yeah that was two years ago wasn't it where they did the one on was it ABC or something mm-hmm. like that yeah yeah with yeah, uh, Queen Latifah weird. that one was atrocious that did not go well. They, something went wrong in the planning on that one. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Yeah, I'm curious what they're going to do with Sebastian because that Jamaican portrayal may not age super well. Which is unfortunate because yeah. I think that accent is perfect for Under the Sea. I agree. And do you want to know something kind of stupid that it's just like one of those weird blanks I had growing up. I never realized he was supposed to be Jamaican. I just associated that voice so much ah. with his character that that's just who he was to me. Okay, I so... didn't make that connection until like a couple months ago. 
uh, Sebastian is in this film uh, with the Jamaican accent uh, and being played by Ziggy Marley. Oh, oh, that's, oh, that's cool. so cool. Actually, that's kind of cool. Uh, Jamaican accent technically does make sense based on the potential ex- where this exists because it could be kind of close to some Jamaican inspired territories yeah. if they're kind of taking that approach. So. Uh, let's see. Um, Scuttle is a woman named Scuddy um, and being played by Aquafina. Oh, that's going to be annoying. I, I like her, but her voice can get kind of uh, see. sometimes. Idris Elba is going to be King Triton. That's oh. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thank I'm you. looking forward to Thank seeing him that. with no shirt on under the water. and <clears throat> That'll be beautiful. That's actually a yeah. really cool idea. I like uh, that. Yeah. Okay, now I'm going to go see this movie. The rest of the daughter, <laughs> the cast for the rest of the daughters all look really cool as well. Um, let's see. Gordon Ramsay is going to be Chef Louis. Oh, my God, that's amazing. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's really funny, actually. Uh, let's see. Grimsby is being played by Alan Cunningham. Or, excuse me, Alan Cunningham. Uh, you know, uh, who's best known, you know, Alan Cumming, um, for a bunch of stuff that he's done, uh, yeah. on stage, but you know, he's fantastic. Not, not just on stage. He's done a lot of movies. Too. This is true. Let's see. Um, yeah, I think everybody knows who he is. Let's see who else, who else, uh, Halle Berry, uh, is going to be Queen Athena, the wife of King Triton. Oh, they're actually going to have her in it? Yes, yeah, so she's yeah. the mom is actually going to be in here. So that's which a change. It is already. unusual. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else? Okay. Um, and. Jody, um, yeah, Jody, I have not said his name. Uh, Jody Benson, who was the original voice of, little, of uh, Ariel back in 89 is also going to have a role. Um, Carlotta, the the maid in the palace. Um, but I think it's cool that they're putting her in there the same way they did with Mulan um, having the, uh, that tiny cameo. Um, Flounder is Jacob Tremblay, Canadian really? actor... Known for the Smurf, known for Smurfs too. Yeah, oh, he's done a lot and, of um, and the room. That's an interesting choice. So, are they gonna make fun or kind of a dick? Uh, I'm not sure, but <laughs> they're making him some kind of tropical fish. Uh, so. I don't oh. see any pictures of what the. Um, cat or what the you know flounder and Sebastian and everything are going to look like. Well, yeah, they wouldn't have that done yet. That's going to be all after ADR stuff. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, but yeah, the cast itself looks like it's going to be pretty good. I'm happy with it. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm genuinely intrigued at this point. We'll see what happens. So. All right. Uh, while we're in the ocean and talking about Disney, 
Uh, let's pop over briefly to Luca, uh, which Stash has just watched and Tank has seen. A couple times. It's <laughs> so what happens when you have children under the age of six. Watched uh, it gross. Watched it twice the first night we saw it. Wait, what? Really? I didn't think it was that good. I thought it was kind of boring. The kids, the kids loved it. I know they were very happy with the toys that came in their Happy Meals. Yes, that were from Luca. It was a decent movie. I, I like. I in general liked it actually because it's kind of a the. It's kind of taking a spin on the Creature of the Black Lagoon storyline kind of thing. Yeah, it definitely was. There was a lot of that. I'm actually surprised there wasn't a direct reference to it. Like a subtle nod to what they were referencing, but they kept it pretty under the table. But, I mean, overall, I, I thought it was pretty good. It was slow. But I really like this Disney that is showing the authenticity of relationships between uh, same-sex people. Couples is the right word. Same-sex characters. So, like, think of Frozen with Elsa and her sister. Think of, like, you could even go with, like, Big Hero 6. See, I would go Big Hero 6 way more than I would uh, Frozen just because the sibling relationship is something Disney has done for a while. Um, yeah. But uh, the, the platonic, relate, healthy platonic relationships, yeah. I mean, really healthy yeah. relationships at all are not really a Disney strong suit. True. Um, so having a healthy platonic relationship being portrayed in Luca. Uh, between these, you know, the two characters, the the twelve year old, twelve, Berto and Luca, yeah, yeah, the the boys in the film, you know, some people are being pricks about it and saying yeah. that because they're both dudes, you know, at the loving age of twelve, they must be gay for each other instead of just being good friends. Um, personally, well, then, I think. Fuck y'all, let the 12 year olds be 12. And if they are gay, who cares? Well, and that's the thing. Like, if they are gay, that's fine. Um, I think it's weird that we have this immediate reaction to put people in a box. So you have two. See, don't boys you shame me. Two boys that are somewhere between the age of 10 and 12 are not actually told at any point, but roughly in that age range that are showing affection and emotion towards each other. So obviously they're gay. Like, why? Why does that make them gay? You can have a healthy platonic relationship where you can show emotion with another male as a male. That is entirely possible to do. And I agree that that's something that we should be promoting. Um, I can understand kind of like uh, the queer community taking this up and being like, oh, yes, the young gay story that we've always wanted, you know? And I could that, understand that's that. not who's saying it, though. Yeah. Yeah. I could understand that. If, if, and if they kind of pushed it in that direction, I guess I could understand that. But they didn't. There wasn't any hint of romantic love between the two characters. I mean, I would be more excited for the lesbian relationship between the two princesses in Raya. You know? Yeah, that, like, that seems more likely. That, I would watch that sequel. 
Mm-hmm. You know, from frenemies to yeah, like that that is something I would be chill with, you know, because they do kind of have that chemistry. You know, but they're also you know, in their twenties. Yeah. And so at that point it makes more sense to be like, yes, here is a loving, you know, developed relationship based on, you know, finally coming to understand one another. Yeah, and, and you know, because once again, like there there is no issue if that's the story you're trying to tell, but there's no hint of romance between the two boys in the story. It is a yeah. story of friendship that kind of overcomes their thing and how them being that support for each other allowed them to grow as human beings or I guess not as human beings as sea creatures (laughs) technically as people you can just say as people yeah as humanoids of some form as bipeds yes they they were able to grow through that relationship with Uh each other to the point where when they're leaving each other they're sad, but they're okay with it. Yeah, there's genuine loss, but it's like hopeful loss. Exactly. It's in a, the service of the future. It's a realization of them needing to separate to grow at this point. And it, it was a good, it was a good story. To be honest, it's. I just don't like how we have to. We, why do we have to put everything in a box? Why does everyone need to fit somewhere? When we can't just look at the story as of what they present to us, and what they present is these two kids that have no idea what's going on in their world and want adventure and growth and experience, and they finally get it through each other. Yeah, I think they. I understand that people, that art does not exist in a vacuum, but at the same time, there are certain things you need to bring to art, and there are certain things you need to lay to the way, to the wayside. Mm-hmm. And I think this specific thing is something that should maybe not be introduced in the context of this film. It's not particularly relevant. I mean, if there was any features in the film that could, you know, reinforce or demonstrate this, I would fully understand. But, I mean, just because you can reference something in a certain context doesn't necessarily mean that context was particularly viable in any way. And I feel that with this criticism, or not necessarily criticism, this embracing and elevation of this film, maybe with um a bit more baggage brought to it than actually exists on the film. Yeah. I, I would actually agree. It's, it's, you added something that wasn't necessary. The, the general public took this for some reason as an assignment to provide backstory where it wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but in, in general, it's a good movie. It should be enjoyed. I think kids will enjoy enjoy that movie if they haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And even if they have, apparently they'll enjoy watching it again. Yep, about five or six times at this point. I'm not sure how many. <laughs> hey, you know what? Only five or six times for that film is, I think, a record for your girls. Oh, yeah, the number of times seen. we watched Frozen and or Frozen 2, especially with your youngest, 
every time she got to pick the movie for like eight months. Anna Elsa, Anna Elsa. Yep. You know, so. Multiple <laughs> times a day. Yep. Okay, so uh, stick, sticking with Disney, but jumping over to the Marvel side of things, you know, uh, we were talking earlier about the number of films and TV shows that Marvel is giving us in less than 18 months. Very short time period. Yeah. So starting with, like, technically, I guess, WandaVision, uh, which was in March. Correct? Yes. Uh, somewhere around there. Yeah. Early in March, I believe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so between March of 2020 and ending July 8th of 2021, there will be seven Marvel movies, and if depending on how they finish everything up, six or seven Marvel TV series. I mean, July 2022. Yes, from 2021 to 2022. 21, 21 to 22. Well, we just pretend that the year of 2020 didn't happen. Yeah, which is why. Yes, March of 2021 to July of 2022, they will have give or take 14 different properties just for Marvel. That is so much fucking content. Yeah, that is so much content. It's I, a movie every two months and a new series every two months for a year. Jeez. I don't know if they can maintain this type of pacing. Oh, no, there's, there's, there's no way. That. There yeah. is, it goes from July all the way to November before there's another thing released. Yeah, but the problem is that. The problem is, like, overexposure. Because I think there's one of the problems we're having with Black Widow is that people feel resolved with the Marvel Universe. For better or for worse, the final Avengers movie like did a good job and a lot of people have enjoyed this break. And if they go from, you know, this series that continues and then when one ends, another one picks up. I feel like they're going to oversaturate people when they try and do films and television shows at the same time. Because people don't want to go from zero to 50. I disagree. I would actually agree with you. I think they have the ill-informed idea that they need to dump everything from the last two years into this year. I think that they're doing it all too quickly, but I don't think that we're going to have that same problem that you're, you're describing just because you needed a break from Marvel doesn't mean that the majority of the fans out there were looking for it. Uh, I think that they could spread it out over a longer period of time. However, you know, there's so much that hasn't been said because they took 2020 basically off. You know, and people have been eating it up so far. Yeah. I'm a huge Marvel nerd. I love comic book stuff. DC and Marvel, but mostly Marvel. I actually would agree with Stash on this. I think it's going to kill people's desire to see some of this if they keep piling it as quick as they are. You're going to run into a wall where people are like, I just need to step away for a little bit. No. I, I also yeah, think... Yeah, that's going to fall 
all so far behind that it's going to take you forever to catch back up. Or people would just be like, I don't care. I'm just not going to pay attention. See the and ones think, that I care about. And I, I think that, I don't know if it's going to hit the movie side of it. I think the movie side is going to be okay. I think Disney Plus is going to see a drop off of viewership for their series in this in this situation. Mm-hmm. I, mean, but think of, I, I also uh, think that you know, right now these are tentative dates. Yeah. And Disney no, is... Well, these are set in stone as of right now. And like, they could move them, obviously, but these are officially announced dates. Yes. They are officially announced dates by <clears throat> Disney. And we all know that they will rearrange shit as they see necessary to keep the bottom line happy. I think their best bet is to push some of it out. I mean, you're going for, in this, what is it, 15 months, you're going to have that much content. Right. And then there is a drop-off from July 8th all the way to November before there's another piece of content. Which is why I'm saying it's very probable, in my opinion, that things will get pushed and they'll get moved around. They they should. They legitimately should push the movie schedule a little bit. And they should, you know, with the, with the series, there's not, I mean, most of them aren't even done yet. So you never know what will happen there. Yeah, exactly. Um, we know for I'm just sure we're getting two of them right now in the near future because they've finished. What if, and I think they've, Almost finished Hawkeye, or they just finished Hawkeye. So, I, I do think that we're able to see things moving around. It would it would be better that way? They need to give some sort of break because that's a lot of content to people in a very short period. It's like you want to give people time to relax and theorize about things and, you know, take their time to kind of go over fan theories and stuff. And if you continuously produce content like that, I think that's going to suffer. I actually think that's one of the issues with Black Widow right now is that they're seeing much lower numbers than they were expecting. And I I think part of that is due to the fact that people are just enjoying Loki right now and they're not in any rush to jump into something else. And there's been such a a nice conclusion to that story arc that I think they're going to have to figure out a way to properly balance our nostalgia and our desire for new content while not overwhelming us. And I don't know if they're going to do it this year. Well, and and the reality with Black Widow is it's a story that took place before. Mm -hmm. Um, Black Widow, the entire storyline takes place in like a three-day time period following Civil War. Um, Minus the ending scene that they do, their credit scene. Well, and I... One of the things we talked about last week is, is Black Widow maybe too little too late. I you would know? probably agree to a certain extent. I still say 
it's very much worth watching because it's a story <clears throat> that Disney's really never told before. It is for a Marvel movie, fairly harrowing story yeah. about Scarlet and uh, about not Scarlet, Scarlet Johansson, Black Widow, and her past. Because they don't really pull any punches with a big chunk of some of the big plot points of her life, and it is very, it is very dark for big chunks of it, and it's very depressing, and that's very intended. You can tell by the way that they put the story in and the story that they wanted to take this journey with her, and they probably should have done it before. Yeah, I I don't think that it's. A waste of a movie, no. uh, but I do think that it's not the best timing for its release. I would agree. I think if this movie would have came come out a year ago, when it was initially supposed to, the end credits would have been a little bit hard to deal with because it wouldn't have made any sense. But the story itself would have been well worth it. Yeah. See, Mama is on watching, and she says she loved the movie, uh, loves Scarlet in any capacity, whether it be the witch, uh, Johansson, or her granddaughter. Uh, Who was named after the witch. Yes. Um, and she says that the release was just tough due to the pandemic, and that's why she thinks it got pushed out so far. Oh, that's exactly what happened, and then the and the problem is that, that I think that messed up some of the plotting of the story. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, because the story, is, it's a good story. It's a very sad story for most of it, but it is very well told. Uh, really good action sequences. You know, they're going to do some really cool stuff, and they do some pretty amazing action sequences in it. Um, and it is very much a powerful woman kind of story. That's nice. And very well, they give all the female characters in the story are given a lot of, I mean, it's basically all about them. Like even the, the male characters in it are few and far between and they're meaningful to the story because of their role in the in the girl's life. That's it. That's why they're important. Okay. Besides that, it is fully a story about uh, Black Widow and the other widows, essentially. Apparently, Dad did not like the movie. And hi, Mama. I already said hi. <laughs> it is very worth well um, watching, though. I will say that it is. It is good. It's a good movie. It's just poor timing. Yeah. Unfortunately. And the, the end credits are perfectly placed as uh, uh, Smurf kind of indicated last week. The end credits make a lot of sense. Do you think maybe they changed the end credit scene? Because you said they already did that for Scarlet Witch. So. I believe that uh, the end credits scene would not have been there a year ago. They probably would have had something different, I'm assuming. Probably. 
I'm curious to know what that other credit scene would have been. Because it very much connects to a story that they're actively telling. I'll just put it that way. All right. Well, speaking of end credit scenes, uh, Loki just ended. And... Yeah, how'd you like that end credit scene? Uh, well, okay, so, will continue. so first off, like, the finale was incredible, but it also ties us back to the end credit scene we had at the end of Scarlet Witch. I, and, and I will, I kind of talked to Bobby about this a little bit in the pre-show. Something I did realize, but I kind of was just going along with the, the story. I enjoyed the story from beginning to end for what this show was. They did not title it correctly. This was not Loki. This was TVA fucking with the God of Mischief. Yeah, That's what this story was. It could have been anybody else. I, I think they're choosing Loki because I'm guessing there's some sort of nexus quality to him that we're going to find out about in the future that they're going to further connect to, I'm assuming. But minus that, they could have literally put any character in his position, and the story would have been the same. I mean, you're not wrong. It's... Yeah, but then we wouldn't have had Tom Hiddleston. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I was just saying, the. Uh, I feel like even though the character of Loki wasn't critical... I don't think that another actor would have done the same benefits to it. Oh, no, not replace the person playing Loki. No, 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 I know. I, yeah. But I think that that's one of the reasons why we're, we were getting Loki is because. Oh. Yeah, it was, it was because of Hiddleston. Yeah. I they mean, wanted... and, and he can carry a show on his own. And then, yeah, and that's probably accurate to why they chose Loki as the foil to a certain extent. Mm hmm. But Loki was not necessary for the show titled Loki. The show was about the TVA. It was about opening up the world for what we're getting next. It was See, about- I, I kind of disagree with that. I think this was the story of Enchantress. It wasn't the story of the TVA. It was her story. And I also, like... They need to figure out what the fuck they're doing with her because, like, she's Loki, <laughs> but she's not Loki, and it wish washes back and forth so much. Well, they 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 already said she's Loki. She's a Loki variant, one hundred percent. That's who she is. She's not Enchantress. Sorry, sorry, Stash. She but is like variant. She literally picked the name of Enchantress. And I think that was kind of like the devil in the details thing in WandaVision. I don't know. I think it I don't was know. a they're playing with you a little bit. It was, she is a 100% a Loki. I just, that whole dynamic was very, very strange, but I do think it was the story of female Loki. I honestly think Tom Hiddleston wasn't the the core of the show at all. He was in many ways her foil, which was necessary for us to relate to her. But they weren't trying to tell his story. Because we already know his story. They just refreshed us on it in the very first episode. The rest of it is her coming to terms with who she is. But she she is a Loki. Or of her identity, so... 
But she didn't. I'm sorry, but she didn't. She didn't come to terms with anything. The end of the story, if we're going, if we're basing it on her, then the end of the story is this person made a very selfish choice that may have just fucked everybody. Well, I mean, no, isn't that kind of us. the key to being a Loki? I mean, they talk about what it takes to be a Loki and what it means and all of that other stuff. I mean, it's narcissism at its most epic. You know? I guess to a certain extent. I guess that's right. But I, I, this story was about her. I will say that. But he was not the Loki that they're talking about. I will say that. But I don't think Loki was needed in general. I think you could have put any person in there and it could have been a variant of anybody. It wouldn't have mattered. That was not the purpose of this show. The purpose of this show was to introduce... The purpose of the show is the last 15 minutes of the series, of the season. That's what the purpose of the show was. And it was to introduce you to a character that is not Thanos, is not Killmonger, is not Ultron. He's not any of the bad guys we've seen before. This guy is a guy that exists and controls the way that we experience time. Mm -hmm. That was the entire purpose of the show, that this guy is so beyond anything we've experienced before that the end of it is we find out this guy is protecting us from the rest of his variants. Right. I did think that was a very interesting angle they took with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was very interesting that the final episode of the show was pretty much all dialogue. Oh, 100%. There was the only action sequence was, if we're going to be honest, there's two action sequences. Both of them were completely unnecessary. Yeah. I, I feel like there's been a lot of unnecessary. The episode right before that was so action packed. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought it was. I don't know. I thought it was a strange choice. I feel like balancing it between the two episodes may have been a little bit of a better choice, but yeah. I mean, it worked. It, um, it worked. As a story, it works. It is a really, really good story. Yeah. I just, I don't think, I think the only reason they called it Loki is because they wanted Tom Hiddleston. That I, makes sense, I think though. they wanted uh, his cachet. Because you, you, there, he was an unnecessary element to the story. Mm-hmm. He's cool, and I'm glad that they picked Loki, and I'm glad that Loki got more film time, and hopefully, since they told us that there is a season two, hopefully they actually tell a Loki story next season. That'd be great. Something that's pertinent to him. But even the, the villain of the end, the villain at the end, has nothing to do with Loki mm-hmm. at all. So, I was going to ask about that. The one who remains, like, I did some research on him, and there's, like, no comic information really about him. They combined, they combined a very small character with a very large character. Uh, the one who remains is the progenitor of the TVA in the comic books. Yeah. But he, I mean, that's really all it says about him. That's all it is. He shows up very little in the actual comic books. He's the last timekeeper alive at the change of a universe. That's that's who he who remains is in the comic books. They took that 
little bit of information and gave it to this other character who we are. Can I spoil this? Basically, I don't know if anyone. Just do it. It's Kang the Conqueror, and Kang the Conqueror is a much bigger character. Um, who has many different variations. One of them is a good guy. Most of them are bad guys. Um, and he comes in very different terms across time. In the past, in the future, in the present, he has different variations. They are very much telling how this guy exists as essentially a time god. He can control time throughout history and throughout the future. That's what King the Conqueror does. Okay. And so they combined, they combined the very small character of He Who Remains with the one of the versions of Kang. Yeah. Okay. And so the question is, is that where it's going to pick up for Loki season two, or are we going to get an actual Loki story? I am going to assume that that's what we're, we're going to get more of that in season two. But this is also leading into Multiverse of Madness and, you know, tying back to uh, the Scarlet Witch. Oh, yeah, uh, when she hears her children crying, you know. This, and, the end of what have the end of Loki is the expansion of the universe. And that without is, it, Phase 4 the, wouldn't exist. Yes. That is the cataclysmic event that sets up the entire, at least, next year of stories. Yeah. So, watch the last ten minutes of Loki, even if you don't watch the show itself, <laughs> just so that way you know what's happening in the MCU moving forward. Yeah, because I'm very much he's going to pop up in Madness, I'm assuming probably going to get some mention, at least, in um, Spider-Man. I'm assuming we're going to be getting something in Eternals. We're definitely getting something in Quantumania because the guy that played Kang is already a known variant in that movie. (laughs) Yeah. So. Well, a lot's happening over in the MCU, but let's jump over to the DCEU and let's discuss the fact that Margot Robbie is done. No, I'm saying goodbye to Harley Quinn. So she has stuck it out longer than most. Um, Maybe the longest existing character in that franchise at this point. Uh, and she's just, she's done. She, she has hit her limit. She would like to move on and not just be Harley anymore. And so that's the plan. She's just going to yeah. go and do her own thing. I mean, that makes sense. Margot Robbie is such an incredible talent, and uh, DC movies do not have a great reputation. (laughs) This is true. Well, and she's saying she's exhausted, which makes sense. I mean, she's as unfortunate as it is, she's kind of the last of the the last character of what would be Zack Snyder's universe. Yeah. She's the last one. Because she was supposed to be into that storyline. And so, so 
she's she's just done. Mm-hmm. Which I get. Well, I guess technically the Flash movie is going to be part of that storyline, I guess. But she she's been there. She's been, I think, in the same amount of movies as any of the other main people at this point. She's been there as many times as Henry Bill. She's been there as many times as Ben Affleck, as Gal Gadot. She's been a big chunk of their universe, and she's exhausted of playing the very emotionally unstable Harley Quinn. Yeah, but she does it so well. Yeah, she does. She does a great job. Birds of Prey was not a great movie. She did a great job. Completely yeah, agree. She's part of fucking scene. Robbie. She always does a great job. <laughs> So, all right. Uh, well, we're sad to see her stepping away from Harley and excited to see what she does next. Oh, yeah. Best of luck in her whatever her future endeavors are. I'm assuming she's going to do get a lot of offers and probably do a hell of a job. So, Yeah, I'm looking forward to see what we're going to get next from her. So, um, now jumping over to video games. Uh, Assassin's Creed. So they're saying the game uh, playtime to do the um, the minimum story or the main story versus complete playthrough just keeps going up and up and up and is stretching towards infinity. I don't know about that, but... <laughs> well, well, it's because the new game is infinity. Yeah. Uh, I've played a couple of the Assassin's Creed games. I've definitely not played all whatever 15 there is at this point. Um, But based on the information they provided, as they increased playtime throughout the series, the completion time also went up. So that seems to indicate that the more they pack into this story more people are willing to finish it. Well, absolutely. It's it's that, and it's also the theory that well-flushed-out side stories don't just distract and detract from people's playtime. Because that's what they really started doing uh, a couple of games ago, was putting real effort into these side missions. Which is good, because for a long damn time any type of RPG or action-adventure or anything like that, most of the side stories are just fetch quests. Yeah. So, But if you fully voice and characterize them and add really interesting personality and stuff, it intrigues people and it does encourage them to play your game. I mean, I played the first three Assassin's Creed's and I swear I would never go back. I was so <laughs> bored with that. And I played Odyssey, which is the one based in Greece, which was three games ago now. And I absolutely loved it. And there was so much filler content in that game. And like just the RPG elements of you needing to level and get to the appropriate levels. It's like it was obscene. But at the same time, I had fun because there were so many interesting side characters in a more flushed out world, and there was a reason to play, because you're grinding your level up. 
What I've heard about Hala is even bigger in scope. And people seem to absolutely be in love with it. It's apparently the most successful date. So, I mean, it definitely is. And they're supporting it or originally planning on supporting it for a, I think, a year. And they extended that time out because people love it so much. And yeah. it's also the direction they're looking to go in the future is... They want to make a single platform for Assassin's Creed, and then they will just release continuous DLC that is maybe different time periods, different characters, and stuff like that. But you have one character that all that experiences all these, so they essentially want to create an MMO where they just continuously release release DLC that you can choose to play or not. That's kind of cool. It's an interesting approach because I know the Halo series is kind of doing something similar with their theoretically Halo, yeah. with their Halo Infinite thing, mm-hmm. where they're saying, "Well, this is kind of the basis for Halo, and yep. then mm-hmm. everything we're going to be doing is going to be tendrils coming out from that." Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense, it's, especially since you're, we're going away from physical copies of games anymore. Well, and to a certain extent, weirdly enough, who we have to thank for this, I guess, is Fortnite, which is weird. You know, I've yeah, heard I that mean, as well. Because they're the ones who kind of did that, where this is all one continuous thing. We're just going to add stuff to it. Yeah, I mean, they've been doing it for, what, three, four years now? I think they're coming up on year five, but five at this point. No, it is your four. Something like that. I think it's your four. I think it's your four. That's a long time for a game that is very simple to play. Yeah. If it's it's based on the Fortnite model, I have serious concerns. (laughs) Because because you have to, you know, get the season pass and there's loot boxes which are the fucking devil um, and just like a bunch of microtransactions. And if there's one thing that I hate in my video games, fucking microtransactions. I don't think they're going that way with it. I think it's more of the inspiration of they have a hub that is the game. Now the main game is the hub. And then everything from there is just extra stuff that they're adding to it that you can choose to pick and play with if you want. But it's not a mandatory part of the game. Yeah. It's like microtransactions are an issue, but it's also the way the games industry is heading, unfortunately. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, Fox's face for that was just... Beautiful. They may be heading that way, but loot boxes are less popular than they've ever been. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be doing the loot as much stuff with the loot box. Loot boxes will always exist for a certain degree of games. Yeah. Um, that's just how it goes. EA especially, they're the biggest offenders. Um, but, you know, 2K does it. Um, Activision does it. Uh, you know, Blizzard does it. Which I guess is technically part of Activision now, yes. um, but all those do it, and I, and the only one who's technically done it in a way that isn't as money hungry, weirdly enough, is Fortnite because there is no competitive advantage. Yep, 
and all of those other games, there's a competitive advantage. In Fortnite, it is a cosmetic, purely cosmetic thing. Yeah, and like you know what you're buying when you get Fortnite. True, there's Fortnite skin. It's like they make money on selling what you want. They don't make money on hiding what you want among a dozen other things that you don't want. I mean, Fortnite absolutely has loot boxes. The little pinatas. Yeah, they do the pinatas. Oh well, that's a that's a different thing. But yes, I guess they technically have the little pinatas, but that's. There is still no competitive advantage to that, though. Um, that then that then I'd say that's the biggest requirement for some of this kind of stuff. The idea of a loot box that provides a competitive advantage is the problem. Loot boxes that offer a cosmetic aspect to it, cool. Mm, I still think it's predatory. Oh, very yes. much predatory. It's legal gambling, and especially for non-neurotypical people or people who have addiction issues, it's something that's completely not regulated at all. Um, And they're taking Uh, advantage of of people who have poor impulse control, like, I don't know, children. Oh, no, you're 100% right about that part of it. Um, That, and that, unfortunately, is up to the parents, I guess, to a certain extent. Yeah. Or, you know, to kind of limit that access. Um, I mean, the thing is, it is not fully regulated yet. No. But there are, like, certain countries where loot boxes are illegal. Yeah. And, and they will continue to go in that direction because they are predatory and they do encourage gambling in children. Well, and... and so... And eventually, loot boxes will be completely outdated, but we're still going to have skins, and we're still going to have battle passes. Well, and the, the, good, the good news about it, to a certain extent, is some of the bigger companies have stepped away from the, the true loot box, which is you're looking for this specific thing out of a thousand things. Um, like, Call of Duty one, was one of the biggest offenders for a while, and all of their stuff now is, if you want to pay extra for this cool skin or cosmetic for your guns or your character, you can have it. But none of it is random. You buy exactly what you want. Which, but I mean, for- it's, it's better to be able to do that than to get caught in that minutiae. Exactly. And, and I understand to a certain extent you're going to have issues with kids and people, like you said, there there is some issue to that kind of stuff with those microtransactions because some people have you know some sort of behavioral control or emotional control or something that they have to deal with and that is unfortunate but I don't know if that's going to get rid of those things getting rid of the loot boxes I agree 100% you should, it should not be a gambling thing that is very much a predatory behavior mm-hmm. um, but expanding into the cosmetic aspects of things I'd say it's less predatory just because you know what you're buying. Well, well, we are, are, uh, you know, anti-loot box, but pro the the direction Assassin's Creed is heading um, of putting everything together on that one platform. So Yeah, it's really smart. It worked with uh, Warzone. 
they did they've kind of played with that for the last two years now so i was thinking destiny is a lot of the success story there oh yeah destiny is a huge part of that too they yeah. destiny 2 has been around for five years now something like that yeah and they just and there's still thousands and thousands of people playing it all the time. Well, so a new, new DLC five years later. They're yeah. adding yeah. stuff to it still. So Yeah, I think this week they're actually doing the next DLC announcement. I believe you're correct. Yeah. Which means we will talk about that next week. Yeah. So all right, well, that's all we have on the agenda for tonight. Anybody have any last final thoughts? Uh, yeah, look how much I got done while we were recording. <laughs> um, Fox, do you want to bring up that special or did you last week? Oh, yeah, I wasn't here last week. Mm, yeah, my we, were, um, we were uh, two down. Only three of us were here last week. And now Smurf is gone this week. Um, you know, off violating a troll under some bridge somewhere. That sounds right. Um, we, Stash and I talked about uh, mentioning Bo Burnham's special inside. Um, I'll just, you know, there's a lot of people talking about it. It's very big right now, and we don't necessarily need to cover it. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I will just mention that as someone who has... Uh, struggles with mental health. Um, oh, I had to move back with my parents uh, a couple weeks ago, and last week I was so depressed that I watched Bo Burnham's Inside twice in one week. And for those of the, those people who have seen it, they'll understand. Yeah, it's um, emotionally draining. But uh, uh, for me, it's not though. Like it's cathartic. For people who have mental health issues, like, it's totally normal to just, like, joke around about, like, killing yourself or, like, what a piece of shit you are. Like, that's just how we bond over things. Um, and so it kind of felt like that. Um, there was this one part uh, where he sings this song. It's called All Eyes on Me, um, where he perfectly, to me at least, portrays a complete mental breakdown. Um, where he's just, like, very, like, drawn into himself and, like, singing this song and, like, um, it gets, like, wild and out of control and then he picks up the camera and starts, like, spinning it around the room and starts, like, laughing in the middle of his own song and it just, to me, it was just crystal clear, like, boom, I've been there. I felt that exact thing. Like, I've done that. It was amazing. Oh, and apparently, yeah, apparently the entire thing was born out of his actual feelings during the lockdown. Uh, yeah, and and some issues that were there before, uh, like in the special he talks about how he had to stop doing comedy because he couldn't stop having panic attacks on stage. It is good. It, I will say that. It, it's worth a watch. If you have some there is some stuff that gets kind of depressing, but it does kind of end in a, I would say a hopeful manner to a certain extent. And I think it would help some people that are, well, I'd say it's, I'd say it's, it's hopeful in a way that he came out of it. That's what I'm saying. Like he, oh, but that's that, like, those experiences led to this successful show. Okay. And he but felt to like, me, 
the ending scene is so fucking bleak. Oh, if he gets yeah. locked outside the house, like that is not a hopeful ending to me. No, no I'm, I'm saying hopeful in the 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 story that he was able to express all of this stuff and connect with some really hard, sad issues and tell yeah, us. And I mean, he finished something, which is more than I've ever done. It also gives you that hope of hey you're not the only one feeling this. Like Fox just said a minute ago, exactly. you know, while watching it, he had the experience of going, I've been exactly there. I felt that exact same. And that's, I think one of the beauties of a special like this is it, it helps people to realize that they're not alone. And that, you know, it does get better even if it gets worse first. And I think that's that's kind of what I mean. Like I like obviously the the special itself is very sad ending <laughs> to a certain extent. But I think him releasing it and putting this out to tell his story and to tell this story is the hopeful part. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to appreciate the fact that he didn't try to candy coat it and give it a happy ending. You know, because so many people try to just tie everything up in the end with a happily ever after. You know, like, yes, things were shit, but now look, I have glitter and rainbows. You know, and instead it's like, yeah, things are shit. But you know what? I accept that. I guess I would say that for next week, prepare. I guess, because we are going to be talking about Troll Hunters. Yes, um, absolutely. So we're going to be talking about He-Man. All I of guess. the things. Yeah. Yeah, we so, have Troll Hunters. We have He-Man. What else do we have coming out? Um, Wheel of Time. Yeah, Wheel of Time. Yeah. So. Um, I'm going to be watching Ted Lasso. I sincerely doubt anybody else will be, but I'll be watching Ted Lasso this weekend. So. <laughs> Well, this weekend, I will actually be at the Savannah Mega Comic Con. We'll have some first-hand accounts of what happens there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So look for pictures and follow us on all of the social medias, you know, so you can see what's going on. Uh, And even when we're not at cons, follow us on all of our social medias. We are Nerds That Know on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, uh, and Twitch, and YouTube. We're on all of the things. We want to be on all of the platforms and in your lives. We want to be all over you guys. Yes. So (laughs) like us, follow us, subscribe, do all of the things. And we will be back next week with more exciting stories and our opinions on things. Because that's really why you're here is to listen to all of us give our nerdy opinions on nerdy topics. Because we are the nerds that know, and we know things that you didn't even want to know, but now you do. So thanks for joining, and we'll catch you guys next week.